0: Okay, so welcome everybody to today's Ready to Open support program. We've opened this up to all of our clients, so thank you to everybody who's joined us. I'm really excited to have the Katie and North Star team with us today. I'm Katie Ridenour with Leaders Building Leaders, and um, today we have brought in one of our charter school business partners to um, to help our partner schools out. And the Charter School Business Network is a special project that was started uh, with um, the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools and Leaders Building Leaders because we really want to provide uh, resources for schools and principals are just so busy, they don't always have the time to do the research to find the vendors they need to support their school business. So the Charter School Business Network was started to kind of fill that gap and, you know, the purpose of the Charter School Business Network is to help our members grow their business through structured, positive, and a professional referral program that helps them develop meaningful and, you know, long-term relationships. You know, so basically we want to introduce, introduce folks who we know, like, and trust to schools we know, like, and trust. So that is the goal of the Charter School Business Network. And today, um, our business partner we have with us is Acadia North Star. We have um, Sarah Crane and Robin Millette on the line. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies. And uh, I Thank first worked for having with, us. Absolutely, I first worked with Acadia when I was a principal at Veritas Community School, and you know I really didn't know what I was doing as far as finances were concerned. But uh, Acadia came right alongside us, and in addition to having the regular uh, charter school you know, operating budget issues, we were fortunate enough to have a $600,000 charter school program grant, which was great. But we didn't know how to manage it. We didn't know how to draw down funds, and luckily we never had to figure out how to do that because we had um, the magnificent help of the Acadia North Star team. So we were able to not only maintain um, a really healthy operating budget, we were able to continue to project into the future and plan, um, you know, projects that we could afford or not afford and decide, you know, make some really critical decisions, you know, for our school. So So thank you so much for that. And thank you for joining us today. So I will, I'm going to leave it off to you now, ladies, if you'd like to, um kind of lead us through i've I've pulled up the document that we sent out the eight common issues with first year charter school finances we're not going to have time to go over everything today um, but we're i'm going to have the Acadia team kind of hit the ones that um that they think are the most crucial and uh, so I'll, i'll hand it over to you all now
1: thank you so much Uh, I am Sarah McCracken. I am the student information partner here at Acadia North Star, and Robin Millette is our finance officer. Uh, What we tried to do was put together some information for you guys that would help you kind of avoid some of the pitfalls that you reach in that first year. Uh, We have been in business for a little bit over two decades. Uh, We serve charter schools exclusively in the state of North Carolina. Uh, We do everything from entering student enrollments up to uh, payroll and everything that lies in between those. Uh, And if you have any interest in hearing more about our services, you can absolutely reach out to the emails that are at the bottom of the program, and we're more than happy to discuss anything with you. Uh, As well as the points of here, uh, as it was mentioned before, we won't have time to go through everything individually today but if there's something that we don't specifically address in this call that you would like to reach out and talk to us about, there's not a contract required to get the information that we have or for us to discuss what we know with you that's covered in this program. So feel free to reach out. We will not give you a sales pitch or make you feel pressured to purchase anything from us just because you call out to us to answer a question. We're more than happy to take the call and walk you through anything that's on this that we don't have time to go over today. So Robin's going to start with a couple of what we view as the more important ones of the ones that are listed in here. And then I've got a couple that I'm gonna go over with as well. So I'll turn it over to her and let her start with these and then we'll uh, kind of work our way down the list as we can.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Um, just to let you know, kind of give you an idea, we handle or have handled over 50% of the charter schools in North Carolina. So we've typically seen anything and everything that could be potentially considered as a pitfall. Um, but I just wanted to touch base on two of the um, areas, and then like Sarah said, she'll touch on um, another area, <clears throat> area after I do. The first issue is typically your ADM. As you know, your ADM really um, is geared and it gets your funding going. So when you, um, as a new school, typically they will have a problem with trying to choose your ADM based on um, projected numbers so that you could balance the budget. we highly recommend, based on how, what we've seen, that basically, on average, 75 or 80% is what you're going to bring in based on your projections. So you want to make sure that you are conservative in your budgeting so that you are not um, going to run into some issues where you cannot consider or have to consider letting staff go, how you're going to cut your budget, um, what areas are you going to have to delay. You want to be able to, to know up front uh, how that could affect your budget. We highly recommend that as you're going through this process. I know you did um, projected budgets in your application, but we highly recommend to do three scenarios of what you could potentially happen. The de- you know your ob- obviously your projected number, but you want to do a worst case scenario budget, as well as um, or moreover what you want to say as a balanced budget. What do I need to have as my break even budget? That way you know when these issues arise that you are you do have a plan and you're not just trying to you know skittle around and, and figure out how you're going to make ends meet the other area that I want to address with your ADM is that it's based on your first 20 days not just your enrollment and what I mean by that is say you've got 200 kids enrolled and one of those does not show up on day one they show up on day six but they're enrolled you will not get the full 100% funding, it will only be the 75% because they have missed the first five days of school. So being there in that seat on the first day is your most crucial way to get your funding. Now, if they go on vacation on day three, four, five, you're okay as long as they're not out 10 consecutive days. So make sure that your kids are in school in their seats on day one. and just to give you an idea, if, a child, if, you, had, if you projected 300 kids and, and you ended up ha, um, not having two, 20 of them, let's just say you're 20 low, typically you pay $7,500 a child when you do state and county funding. So you're looking at $150,000 in loss of revenue based on those 20 kids that did not enroll. So that is a huge um, detrimental issue to your budget. So you definitely want to make sure that you're planning accordingly and being very conservative. The second issue that we see is managing of your cash flow and actually reviewing your budget. I just kind of combine those together because they kind of co-side. Um, cash flow, you know that you're going to start, you're not getting any state money until mid-July, and that is assuming that you get your certificate of occupancy. Until you get that, they will not release your first allotment. So basically, your first allotment is only 34%. So you're going to live off 34% until, I mean, off of your local money, whether it be you had to get loans or whether it be you had local uh, donations or what. And then once you get your certificate of occupancy, you'll get your first allotment. But that allotment has to last you off November. The only other pot of money that you will get, you'll start getting your county monies in, but typically that's not until October. They will not re- you're Usually, the counties will not release the money till they get their allotment, and then they base it on their first 20 days of school. So you are having to run your business um, through November on a small portion of your budget. And the reason I I think this is huge is because you've got to prioritize. Your your first priority will be your staffing, your and your facility costs, and then it's bare necessities. I like to say, purchase your needs and not your wants, especially up front. And I I use an example. We had a school that uh, projected that they were going to have 400 kids, so they went ahead and excuse me signed into a lease to get computers, and they got 400 computers. They ended up having an enrollment of 300. We're not able to return those computers and was stuck with that invoice. So basically, they had to put those computers in the in the storage, lock it up so they wouldn't get stolen, and now they're out that money that they could have used otherwise. Hmm. So it's it's big that maybe. As far as your purchases, get your needs and maybe just do it, you know, one or two months' worth of need that you need and then prioritize going forward once you know your ADM. And that way you're not um, putting yourself into a predicament where you, you've got to come up with more money for staffing or what. The um, budgeting portion is critical. Um, it's not a, you know, set it up and then forget it document. You put it on the shelf and not use it. It is—it is typically the most important document that you're going to need, as far as uh, financial um, management, to be able to know where you are at all times, it's a living document, and I highly suggest that you at least um, adjust it quarterly. A lot of schools will say, "Oh, I'll just," we, you know, "we made it, the budget's to budget," and truly, it's not, because it's the it's the goal to to manage that budget and to know where the school is at all times. Ultimately, it's the board's responsibility. Um, at the end of the day from a you know financial liability, but they're typically not involved in the day-to-day, so you wanna make sure that you're very close with your administration and just do it a, a collaborative effort to work together on those purchases. Um, we do have schools that will actually, um, they have one initial point of contact to do all purchases, and that allows them to know at any given time that they haven't overspent in, in different areas. The, the problem you have is when you have different departments and they're ordering, and you don't know who's ordering. And then at the end of the day, we've got a you know a, a busted budget line. A lot of boards will say, um, give the authority to the um, administrator. You know, you can purchase anything up to X. Let's just say ten thousand dollars, and then anything over ten, the board has to approve. That gives them another set of eyes of of you know making sure that they have not the honor exceeded these budget lines. They also um, wanted to <coughs> excuse me they also had um a, or I had another suggestion that maybe you um, have two sets of signatures on checks over ten or you know just come up with a, a dollar amount so that you can uh, make sure that you have not exceeded those purchases but other than that um Sarah has uh is going to go over for um line uh, six six or five and six i'm sorry but before i get to do that would you like to ask any questions or, or make any notes or comments
0: let me unmute our participants and then we can there we go if so if you have a question feel free to to ask it
3: yeah i got a question on the on the 20-day rule so when you say 75 percent. Does that mean uh, forever, or is that just the, just the, like the, the first month? Or So if the kid shows up on the 10th day, we only get paid that percentage of him for the rest of the year, or is it just for a certain period of time?
1: For state money, yes. If you don't show up until the 10th day, you're going to get 50%. And where that starts to affect you, uh, I know Robin said specifically 20 students, but if you have a situation, and we have this happen on a regular basis, enrolled and mom and dad want to be in Europe for the first two weeks of school well by the time that those four children miss uh, an entire two weeks of school then they've all missed 10 days so you've lost funding for two complete children for kids that you know will occupy those seats and for the state funding portion once those numbers are set in the first 20 days of school they will not adjust going forward into the year. It will be the next year before you get a new ADM. So your state-funded ADM will be what it is on the 20th day of school for the entire year. Now, your local money, they will adjust monthly because we will send monthly invoices or some do it on a quarter basis, but most counties will adjust through the year. The state funding is what it is, and once it's determined at the end of that first 20 days, it will remain as such for the remainder of the year.
3: I, I guess I'm dense. I'm just trying to figure it out. So So is our money, state money based on the first day and the rest of the days don't matter or is it the 20th day that matters?
1: It is every day in between the first day and the 20th. But the essential part of this, and I actually have a document. I took the time to um, explain this out in pretty big detail on a document. I'll get that to Tom so he can forward it out to you guys. But essentially what it is, is every day in between the first and the 20th matters. But if a child shows up on that first day, we call it they have to put their butt in the seat. As long as their butt has touched the seat, they can go anywhere they want to as long as they don't have 10 unexcused absences in a row and they're counting towards your membership. That's what you want to happen. You want them to show up on that first day because that's when they're gonna start counting in your membership. So as soon as they show up, it's not that you don't care whether they're there the first 20 days of school but it no longer affects your funding. They start counting in your membership the day they show up. Their attendance after that point doesn't matter unless they have 10 unexcused absences in a row.
0: So it sounds like they need to be there the first day and the 11th day. (laughs) And if they miss any more than that, or you know. At at least. Yeah, at least. Well, in the document, the document that I have not only breaks down how uh,
1: how your membership days are determined, it also breaks down for you guys how it is calculated at the state level because a lot of people assume certain things about ADM and it's just not how it looks. For instance, uh, when they calculate your ADM at the state level, they calculate each grade level's ADM, but then they round each grade level's ADM to the nearest whole number, and then they add them together. So you don't add them together as their own individual numbers and then round. Each grade level is rounded, so you actually could gain or lose a child based off how the rounding falls. If everybody's at .4, you're gonna round down for every single grade. So those roundings so affect you by a child or two, but it's that the document that I have details that out because so many people have issues with determining what counts as membership how membership is determined and how that adm is calculated
0: okay well thank you yeah we'd love to get that document out sarah that sounds really helpful
1: okay so are there any other questions right now
0: sounds like we're ready to go on to the next set okay all right so the next
1: Some may be for IT, some may be for software, some can be, you know, the types of services we offer, the financial and the student information pieces. There are a a wealth of third party vendors out there. Um, Security cameras, just a, a ton of different things that you may need at your school at some point in time. But the main goal is to make sure that you evaluate your third-party vendors properly. Um, We have a general statement around here, uh, beware of anybody who tells you yes too often. Uh, I don't want to have to tell a school no that I can't do something or that I shouldn't do something, but the painful reality is that sometimes the answer is no. And if there is a vendor that just very quickly always tells you yes, you probably want to make sure that you research out to make sure you're allowed to do the things That they're telling you to do so ultimately speaking if you reach out to a third party um, and it's it's listed in the documentation and it's pretty true there are three one of three reasons you're going to reach out to a third party and it's that you don't have the skill set to do the particular job that you're looking to fill for instance if you don't have a person who's trained in power school at your school you may look at this and say this is our first year we don't want this to be a learning year we don't want this to be a training year We need a person who knows how to do this because our state funding is gonna be based on the ability to enroll these children properly and have them count in our membership and we don't wanna leave that up to chance to somebody who's had three days worth of initial product training and is really not sure what they're doing. So you have the number one reason which is you lack the skill set for a particular job. Number two is that you don't wanna do the job and we're not saying that you don't care about the particular job but as a principal especially, You have 90 different jobs that you would rather be doing than investigating the average over a 1,000 errors that happen on a student activity report. And that's just one of about 30 reports that happen as you enter your second month of school. And so when we say that you don't want to do the job, it's essentially that you have jobs that to you and to your values are more important. They're jobs that have to be done, but they're things that you say, for my life, I can vet this out to someone else. And then also the ability to create redundancy and an additional layer of oversight. Um, The additional layer of oversight is really a key point, whether you use a third party or not. Um, From a financial standpoint, we had a client several years ago that had been with us for several years, and we knew when they joined us that their intent was to bring their financial services back in-house. And we never begrudge people to do that. If that's something they want to do, then we are open and and communicate with them as they go through that process. So we turned their finances back over to them at the end of their first several years in business. And they turned it over to a person that in their minds they trusted quite a bit. And after one year, this person had embezzled multiple thousands of dollars from their school. One one million. million, Excuse me, Robin just gave me the 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 number. Uh, At the the end of the day, it was $1 million. Um, She actually um, obviously spent some time in jail for this. But the problem was they turned this over to a person that they trusted and then gave her no oversight. So in their minds, they thought they were prepared and she was able to do the job. So they were not incorrect in saying this person completed these tasks. The problem is that she completed these tasks while she was stealing money from the school. So you always want to make sure, whether it's a third party or simply redundancy that you create within the school, that you have someone who has to overlook the things that are involved in your day-to-day functionality, whether it be in power school or in your financial side. So if you determine that you want to use third-party vendors for certain things, you then have to look and say, how do I determine which third-party vendor is best? References are a key point in the charter world. Generally speaking, every single time that you go out and you look for something, if it's insurance, if it's IT, if it is financial services, student information services, any of these things within the charter world, primarily speaking, a certain vendor or two to three certain vendors will pop into the leaders at other charter schools heads immediately. Um, If it's a lottery program, I can tell you right now, one, two, or three companies immediately pop into my head as being companies that I would recommend people use. So if you reach out and you ask for these references, I know a lot of times people will say, can you give me three references? And as soon as somebody turns them over, they don't necessarily call them or reach out to them. Now, of course, in the grand scheme of references, people aren't going to give you references from their clients that they feel wishy-washy about. They're going to give you their class A clients. But you can then go out and just sort of ask around. Again, inside of a charter world, people love to share information. So reach out, ask people the questions that need to be asked so that you can get the information you need from a references standpoint. Now, understanding you can't make everybody happy all the time. So one bad reference doesn't necessarily mean the vendor that you're looking at is not worth delving into further. It just simply means that for whatever reason, the relationship with them did not work out. And it's also worth saying that if they give this particular vendor a bad review, that you ask them, why did this not work out? And if what didn't work for them is actually not an issue for you, then that's something that you can know as you go forward. The current staff that they have available to help you and the ability of them to meet your needs where they are is also things that you have to look at. Uh, For instance, in a startup company, a lot of times you may have a beautiful website with lots of links and things that make it look very impressive, but behind that massive website and all the words and the blurbs, you may have two people who are working 12 to 14 different schools trying to get a company off the ground, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's how every company starts, but for you in your first year, it may not be a chance that you want to take. You you may want to see how many people do you have employed, You're asking me to trust you for redundancy, so how do you create redundancy for me within your own company? And uh, for instance, if you look at what Acadia does, we have uh, over 50 employees here. We have uh, over 15 employees that are doing student information alone, and then everybody else is doing finance. We handle each school individually in the fact that we learn what applies to each school, but we also handle every single school the same in the fact that the processes stay the same, So if a person has a baby or wins the lottery or gets hit by the Mack truck, we can immediately provide a person to occupy that space for you as a school so that you don't feel the changeover. If you're dealing with a third-party vendor, especially with things of a nature of IT, finance, your website, uh, any of those things, you wanna make sure That if there's turnover internally with that third party vendor, that they have the ability to continue to support you in the way that you need, especially in your starting years. You also want to make sure that they're not trying to sell you more than you need. In your first year, there are a lot of things that look like big, shiny buttons that everybody likes to have, but from a budgetary standpoint, it doesn't make sense to sign up for every bright and shiny thing you can find. On your first year, it makes more sense to keep things basic and to see what things you really want to put money into because I can assure you that in year two and three of your charter school, you're going to be opened up to so many things that don't occur to you right now, if you've, especially if you've never started a charter school before. You're, so you don't want to have entered into a five or six-year contract or even a four-year contract right off the bat, because you need to be able to say, we contracted with these people and we're not happy. Or we changed our mind and we want to go a different direction. So you want to make sure that they will meet you uh, where you need to be met. If it's something tiny that you need done, that you can contract with them for a specific service and test out how you feel about them. If you want that single year contract, you need to have that uh, available to them. Um, Now, and you will find when you look at different places, I know there's a couple of lottery programs that give you discounts for long-term contracts. Uh, Here at Acadia, we give uh, our clients that have been with us 15 years and are signing five-year renewals, we give them a discount for a long-term contract. But you want to make sure that that short-term contract is available. And it's absolutely worth it to pay a little bit extra to get that short-term contract, than to lock yourself into a long-term deal that doesn't make sense for your school after you get through that year one. The next is to make sure that what they're telling you is actually accurate. I don't think that they do it intentionally. I will never say that a third-party vendor comes in and lies to you for the sake of lying. The problem is there are so many third-party vendors out there that are able to offer things in other states that you are not able to offer in the state of North Carolina. Because the state of North North Carolina does not give you carte blanche to go out and say, I want X company to do my finances, and I want X company to handle my student information. You can't just pick Jupiter grades. You can't just pick whatever you pull off. You have to use PowerSchool, and you have to use Link. And so if you're going to go out and you're going to use a third party, you have to make sure that the features that they're selling you are going to work with the program that you have in front of you. And one instance of that is the fact that we have several vendors. Um, I get a call right now, probably once a week, from one of our clients. We handle about 95 of the student information uh, systems at the charter schools in the state of North Carolina. About once a week I get a call right now from a client who says, I'm talking to this third-party vendor." and they're going to sell me a program that's going to allow me to let my kids enroll online. Their parents are going to log on. They're going to fill out the information. We're going to insert the enrollment, and then nobody has to key those things. And so uh, two questions come to them from that. They first want to know if I will give them a discount because that I don't have to key their enrollment, which would be great if I was able to offer them that. The other thing is, what do I need to do to set this up, and how do I move forward? Well, it's not a can you in this instance. If I say that you can't, I would be lying. PowerSchool will 100% let you enroll these students via an upload. There are third party programs that you can connect to your PowerSchool and they will absolutely make it happen. The problem is that we have went to the state multiple times and the email that I have right now is dated um, April 16, 2019. So this is just the last time that I got the clarification. I ask about every six months just to make sure I'm up to date. And the top line of this sentence, our question when we opened it is, has anything changed at a state level? Can student enrollments be uploaded into PowerSchool? The response is, and this is straight from DPI, is definitely not. It, cannot, it can be done in PowerSchool, but it most certainly should not be done in the state of North Carolina due to the UID integration. Since we have a statewide program, we cannot allow this process to happen, and any errors or problems caused to the PowerSchool system related to importing students will fall on the responsibility of the school. And what that means is the state will flatly refuse to answer your question. We've had it happen before. You'll call because you will have created 16 or 17 duplicate students by enrolling them. The state will say, we told you not to do that. We said you can make it happen, but we told you not to do it, and you did it anyway. So now you have to deal with the problem. And unfortunately, that problem can delay your state funds. It can delay your local funds. It can cause all kinds of issues because if we can't get a proper headcount, the state can't give you an ADM. If we can't get a proper headcount, The local counties can't pay you for the students that exist. And we know for a fact because people call us every week asking that there are third-party vendors out there that are saying, absolutely, we can import these enrollments. And it's it's just not a valid statement for North Carolina. So you want to make sure when you deal with any third-party vendor, before you sign on a dotted line, before you contract, before you say, okay, let's move forward with this, it is so worth the time and the effort to reach out to DPI and say, this is what this 3rd party vendor tells me that they can do. Can you verify that this is okay? There's also a list of state-approved third-party vendors on uh, the charter school sites where you can see the state-approved vendors that the state says, yes, you can work with these guys. But beware, because even guys listed on that list have items in their programs that do not work in the state of North Carolina. So we have a ton of people that that look at PowerSchool and they say PowerSchool will do all these things, which is true. But unfortunately, in the state of North Carolina, based on what we pay for and what they lock us out of, you cut that list in half. And these third party vendors, it's not their fault. They don't realize it. We had a school last year or the year before last. I don't really remember that paid the upwards of nine to ten thousand dollars for this really robust enrollment system that they were super excited about. By the time that they realized it would not work in the state of North Carolina, their third party vendor said, you bought it, you used it, it's yours. Hmm. And so it's 10 grand that's out the window that didn't allow them to do anything other than print off enrollment forms and do exactly what they've always did, which is hand key those enrollments directly into PowerSchool. So you just wanna make sure when you're reaching out to these guys that they are telling you Uh, exactly what is and is not possible. The same things are true when you start reaching out to companies like ADP or Bill.com or anything else. We're not saying that the possibilities don't exist, but there are certain restraints that you need to be 110% aware of before you spend thousands of dollars going into contracts with those people. Any questions?
0: Thank you a lot, that was great. Um, I wanted to real quick point back to enrollment And uh, Tom created a document a while back um, about how to secure 100% enrollment. And I'll send that out to everybody, and it's just some some steps you can take to um, touch base with your folks to make sure they do show up and get those cheeks in the seat on the first day, which is so critical to your your ADM. So now I'd love to open up the floor to anybody who has questions about, um, you know, with Sarah. Uh, just went over or anything that Robin went over as well.
4: Hey, Katie, this is, uh, this is uh, Tom Miller. Hello,
0: hello.
4: Hey, uh, there's some feedback. I don't know if, if, if uh, someone's got an open line. We can, not, we can mute that one person. But I just wanted to share uh, with, with Robin and uh, Sarah, just listening to you both, uh, I can hear the passion and it's just so, so exciting. And just real quick, uh, I was I was an executive director of a charter school of two schools that had massive financial challenges to the point where we basically had to work from a cash flow system for months to be able to solve all the problems. And um, their, their consultant, um, she would call me at six, seven in the morning, at night. She was constantly keeping me updated. So I just... When I think about, you know, what we try to do, you know, Katie and I is always introduce our, you know, clients or prospective clients to people we know, like, and trust. And there's no way we would have been able to help that school get out of that financial crisis if it wasn't for the dedication of of Acadia's team and expertise and trying to do anything they could that we could educate, you know, the board and, and make sure we had the right money to make sure every teacher got paid. Uh, per month. And if my memory serves me correctly, we went from a half a million dollar deficit in November to a hundred thousand dollar surplus by the end just by doing a lot of extra diligent work. When Sarah talks about we're here to help you, we're here to support you, I, I can say it's true because otherwise uh, that school probably wouldn't be in existence anymore if, if, if they didn't to dedicate extra resources to be able to help us. So Um, Thank you for what you do. I can still, I I feel the passion and great, great information in terms of uh, ADN in vendors, and there's so much out there that we have to be wary of as uh, charter school leaders. So, um, you know, thank you, uh, you both and and, uh, your teams.
1: Absolutely, no problem. We're happy to help.
0: Yeah, you guys were critical when I was a school leader, and they would come to our board meetings and give updates for finances. You know, they'd drive all the way down to Charlotte, and um, they, didn't, it, they didn't, you know, bat an eye whenever we requested their presence. Um, you know, so Acadia, as far as a power school and the finance side, they were really crucial to the success of a, of a startup charter school. Does anybody have any questions that they want to ask while we have uh, our finance gurus on the phone? Okay, well, yeah, I wanna-
4: You oh. know, I've got, I've got one, Katie. You know, yeah. this this really wasn't on our list, but um, I don't know if you, you addressed it, Sarah, I may have missed it, but if a school was gonna hire someone in-house, right? So if they had you externally and in someone in-house, what are some of the skill sets that that person should have? I just remember kind of working with a couple of leadership teams that may not have had the best equipped in-house finance person. So what are some of your know, skill sets that they should be looking for? I know I'm kind of catching you off guard, but I, I think this would be important for uh, people to hear uh, is who, who they should be looking uh, to bring on their team.
2: Well, from a finance side, um, if you were going to do it strictly in house, I would suggest getting with you know per se a finance officer, not necessarily a a CPA or a or degree or anything, but you want to make sure that they do understand um, accounting, debit and credits, um, to know how to reconcile your bank account, definitely to be able to read a budget, and those are things that you you typically have to learn from experience. You know, we're dealing with cash basis and you get a lot of people off the street saying, yeah, well, you know, I've been in public accounting. It's a totally different ballgame. Charter school world is not your typical accounting. And so you, they have to be mindful of that because it can be, you know, affect your audit as far as that goes. Um, as far as um, power school, you're, it's basically, let me let Sarah talk because I have no idea. <laughs>
1: From, from a power school, school perspective, it, essentially you're going to teach somebody from the ground up. Um, unfortunately, there is not a method to say there is a person that you should deal with um, over any other type other than the ability to learn, adjust, and multitask. Uh, on average, and it's just one of the advantages in my mind to a third party in general, whether it be me or if I was running a charter school trying to decide if I wanted to do this in-house or not, is the fact that on average the state changes the rules on us about once a week. Um, And we have people that their entire job is to sit and listen to webinar after webinar and read email after email to stay abreast of the changes that are made at the state. And so whether it's from a financial standpoint or a student information standpoint, to me it's a person that has the ability to multitask and change. Um, Anybody who doesn't uh, react well to being flexible within their job is going to fail miserably at handling either the finance, of a charter school and or the student information. So looking for somebody that has the ability to learn quickly and to follow multiple things is gonna be a key point in a hire when you're looking to, to do this kind of thing in-house, there's just too many changes to have a person who's not open to that much uh, fluid information in their job.
2: And you wanna make sure they have attention to detail as far as the finances go because you know it's, it's crucial that they that they know what they're doing and that they are able to understand, you know, the finances. The only concern I would have basically is if they went into internal is to be able to have multiple people that are trained for fear if somebody, you know, I like to say win the lottery. I don't want to get hit by the bus. Would be able to step in uh, and handle it. Whereas you're a third party vendor, you've got a lot of experience, you know, and you would never feel the, the crunch, but you want to be able to make sure that you're cross-trained in the in the internal world. And from a pairing perspective,
1: if you're working with a third party, essentially all your internal person has to do is be able to send us what we need. Um, now, I I can only speak for us because I'm not sure how all third parties work. But from our perspective, anything that we need an internal employee to know, we actually come on site and we train you. Uh, We walk walk through everything that you need to know, and if there is mid-year turnover at the school, we come back out and we retrain the new person. So if you're dealing with working with a third party, in particular us, just someone who is there and, you know, fairly uh, tech savvy, who can log on and work a program that's cloud-based, and as long as they can communicate with us and send what we request, then that's really the only thing that we need at a school level. And it allows them to be able to concentrate on other jobs. Um, Just for knowledge purposes, generally we say when you reach a headcount of 400 or higher, you really need a full-time person doing your finance and a full-time person doing your student information. So a lot of people tend to turn towards the third-party vendors because a contract with us is less than paying two full-time people to sit inside the school and also not have redundancy at that point.
0: Right perfect that that was great um really helpful Katie, I, I got a, I, oh go ahead barry i got a question yes
3: yeah it's related to i just want to know what the ladies experience are with uh schools you know um and transportation you know outsourcing to a third-party bus company or getting their own because uh, i found uh, at least on the charlotte side of the state there are very few options for a company, and the ones that do, they're really expensive, you know. And I just wanted to know what their experience has shown, cost-wise. Was it better to go with a third party, or was it better to get your own buses?
2: Um, well, we've seen both. I can agree with you at your statement about it being very expensive. I know that it, a lot of it depends on the length, you know, where you want to pull your schools or your students from. Um, do they, are they able to have the transportation? We have schools that, you know, do and do not offer. So it really is a, a it varies as far as where you're located and, and what you need. Typically, the first year, um, I don't, I don't see a lot of purchases of buses. So you, but you have to just know, like I said, from where your uh, geographic location is, what are you talking? Are you talking, you know, 30% or are you talking 90%? Because you, it may be better off to do. Um, like used buses or whatnot, and then hire, you know, have bus drivers on staff that also teach or, you know, or do after scare or whatever.
3: Right. Well, if I were to if I were to go with a third party bus company for the amount of students I have to bus, it would cost me like sixteen thousand dollars a month.
2: Yeah, it's pre- it is ridiculous. We've and I've got a couple vendors that um, I'm not sure where you're going to be located at, but um, but in the Charlotte area, it is astronomical.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, we then, paid you know, $48,000 a year for ours. That was one bus.
3: Yeah. That's one. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it would be. You know, they, they want to, you know, they're charging $4,000 a month for one bus, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. I need three buses. So that's why I, and my board wants me to give them the cost benefit analysis between paying $16,000 a month for three buses versus getting our own and our own drivers. And, uh, I just can't see how sixteen thousand dollars a month is worth it to anybody. That's a,
2: I don't that's a lot know. Of if, money. At one time, DPI was um, you could purchase buses, used buses, um, at a cheaper rate. But I don't know if that's still available now. Yep, you D- still can. From but
3: the state. Those bu- you still can. Those are very old buses. You know, you can get yeah. them for two, three thousand dollars, but
2: they're old. So, You're gonna uh, get what
0: you pay for, yeah. Yeah, on the state auction site, you can buy. You can buy the used buses but boy if you don't have someone who can go inspect those buses um you know who knows what you're going to get
2: right. you know and it's hard. as leasing you know you can lease lease buses to get loans but it's hard for a you know upcoming new charter school to even get a loan or, or any any long-term funding like that so you're kind of sure. stuck at first you
3: gotta, you know, put the bubble gum on the old buses and just and Pray every morning, and they turn over. Okay.
0: That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, are there any other questions out there for Robin and Sarah? So, uh, you know, we didn't go over every one of the pitfalls. We didn't have time to go over all of them. You know, Robin or Sarah, do you want to talk about what folks can do if they, if they'd like to hear more uh, from you about this?
1: Absolutely. My contact information, this is Sarah, my contact information I believe is at the bottom of the presentation. Yes. And I'm available pretty much any time and if if I don't pick up the phone and actually I can go ahead and give you my cell numbers not listed there, you can email me or you guys can also reach me at 828-980-5322. The other number that's listed there is our office number. So in between eight and five, that number will work. They can transfer you to me. And if it's outside of eight to five on Monday through Friday, you can call that cell and I'm happy to take your call. Um, even if it's something we don't know the answer to, we actually have quite a few, um, well, we have over a hundred charters that we work with. So it's easy enough for us if it's something that we're not familiar with as far as third party vendors or anything else that you guys may be looking into. We're always happy to pull together information. We have a certain group of our clients that never mind if we hand out their names or their vendors Um, so other schools can see what they're using and how how they're able to utilize certain things. So we're happy to take your call whenever you need to ask any questions about the upcoming school year, your budget, your student information, whatever it may be. Uh, So anything that you guys need, just feel free to email that or give me a call.
0: Perfect. Sounds great. Uh, there, You also have your website, which is acadianorthstar.com, you know, so that might be able to answer some of your questions um, that you might have. But, you know, Sarah and Robin, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and your, you know, your basically your love for supporting charter schools. It really, you've made a difference in the state of North Carolina in the um, you know, in the success of charter schools, especially from the finance and, uh, power school perspectives, and we really appreciate all that you do to support charters. Well,
1: thank you, thank so you very much. much.
0: Okay, well, thank you, and thank you, everybody, for joining the call. We, um, this is our last call, and we'll, we're here if you need us, so please reach out. Thank you
3: so
0: okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.